In the early 1930s, the news in the United States was dominated by a young, sweet, clean, sexy couple that was sticking it to old Johnny Law by going on a lengthy crime spree while simultaneously giving back to the poor, desperate folks of Texas and Oklahoma. But all of that turned out to be fake news. Turns out they were bumbling crooks who blundered their way into several murders and spent several years dirty, drunk, and hungry as they desperately avoided capture by law enforcement. In this episode of HBH, we're taking a look at their early lives and the blunders that made up their early criminal career. The true story might not be as glamorous as the one you had in your head, they rarely are, but it is incredibly fascinating and it's a fun ride and we just can't wait to go on that ride with you, dear sweet listener. So, it is once more time to grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of Hunter Proof History titled Bonnie and Clyde Part 1, A Rough Start. This is Hunter Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. All right. Welcome back, everyone. And I guess, of course, new listeners as well. Uh, For those new listeners... Let me tell you something about 100 Proof History. It's a podcast that explores the untold stories and forgotten characters from history. Hosted by two friends, Chris and Ryan, the podcast covers a wide range of topics, from the Wild West to the World Wars, from pirates to presidents, and everything in between. That That's written by ChatGPT, by the way. <laughs> Just asked it, what is 100 Proof History? Yes, thank you, Chris. And I'm not mm-hmm. Ryan. I'm Greg. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that goddamn machine learning bullshit is doing, but it's wrong. Well, thanks for filling in for Ryan this week, Greg. I really appreciate you stepping up to the plate. My best friend wasn't available this week, so we had to, you know, scramble a little bit. I guess so. (laughs) Continuing with the cybernet robot speech. Mm -hmm. Each episode of 100 Proof History features in-depth research and lively discussions that bring history to life. Chris and Ryan have a knack for finding the most interesting and entertaining stories from the past and presenting them in an accessible and engaging way. Whether you're a history buff or just someone who enjoys a good story, 100 Proof History is a podcast that is sure to entertain and educate. So grab a drink, sit back, and join Chris and Ryan as they take you on a journey through the fascinating and sometimes bizarre history of the world. Fuck you, chat GPT. <laughs> I'm the main host, and you get my name wrong? <sighs> uh, you know, chat GPT is too generous. It's, it's really Ryan that carries the show. You know, I'm just along for the ride. You know, I'm, I'm the Andy Richter to his Conan O'Brien. All right, goddammit. Nobody gets that reference. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm the Ed McMahon to his Johnny Carson. Is that better? <sighs> Even worse. Even fucking worse. But, uh, Chris, why don't you tell the fine listener what we're talking about today? Well, today, Greg, we're telling the story of Bonnie and Clyde, a little B and C action, if you know what I mean. Because <laughs> you can make a lot of sexy terms out of, like, B and C. You can be like, boys and 
chicos or balls and uh, <laughs> common interests that we share together in bed. So, little little, little double entendres for you with a little B and C, the Bonnie and Clyde action, <laughs> if you will. I won't. Okay. Well, our main source is Go Down Together, the true story of Bonnie and Clyde by Jeff Ginn. We've done several books by him. They're always fantastic. Yeah, we did uh, Manson. Mm-hmm. We did The Last Gunfight. Jonestown was Jeff Ginn. It was, it was all oh, good fuck. shit, man. Done yeah. quite a bit from him. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where he writes a book and like... We've talked about it before. Like, I want to say like 40% of it is just notes and bibliography. So, like, you know, this dude did his homework. Mm-hmm. Like, if I had 10 doctors telling me that I was fine, and Jeff Ginn said, No, sir, you have rectal cancer from all of your various activities, I'd be like, Oh, God, let's just, let's just end it now. I'm not doing the treatments, doc. I'm, I'm just going to go home and die. I am a little upset with him, though, because he did not go with the original title of the book. You know, he changed it to Go Down Together when it was Let's 69 Each Other. And um, I feel like he caved a little, you know? Gave into the the old cancel woke culture, if you will. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it is, as all of his other books, it's a great book. It's a great read. Pick it up. Read it. Or... Just listen to this show. We're going to go in-depth into the lives of Bonnie and Clyde. All right. Well, I am thoroughly excited to get into this. So let's get into a little bit of Bonnie and Clyde, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Let's do it. It's a euphemism for a penis because I'm in third grade. But yeah, let's go. I'm sure it'll get better from here. On December 5th, 1891, in the small East Texas town of Nacogdoches, a 16-year-old sawmill worker named Henry, can't afford a wheel, Barrow, married the likewise 16-year-old and unfortunately named... I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. Kumi Walker? No, I'm calling her Kumi. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's spelled C-U-M-I-E, so... Of course, I, I actually did not give her the benefit of the doubt at all while reading the story. Kumi it is. They became tenant farmers on a cotton farm, and soon Cummy began firing little baby barrows right out of her uterus. All in all, she would poop six children out of her lady butt, but our story focuses on the fifth child, born on March 24, 1909. One, Clyde Chestnut Barrow. Named her Chestnut because that's where she wanted it to end up, but instead she wound up pregnant. This so far has been a very... Immature podcast, even <laughs> by our standards. I'm proud of everything I've said so far. Let's see if let's see what I can bring for the rest of the show. Let's go. All right. Clyde spent his first few years in rural Ellis County under the watchful eye of Cummy. She was super religious to the point that she believed that if a woman danced or wore makeup, she was an absolute whore, and she beat the ever-loving piss out of her children when they acted up. Kind of ironic for a lady named Cummy. Clyde's father, Henry, spent his entire day in the fields and had no time for child raising. So if the kids were misbehaving, he'd simply say, Cummy, make that child mind. Ting. 
and calmly watch as she smacked the kids around. This is badass. It's like, you know, your kid wants to spend the night at a friend's house. Mm-hmm. And you could still be like the good parent and be like, all right, go ask your mom. And like, as she's running downstairs to ask mom, you text your wife. You're like, tell her no. <laughs> Make her do all the dirty work. And she's like, oh, I fucking hate my mom. Dad's awesome. He was okay. going to let me do it if it wasn't for you, you fucking bitch. <laughs> Real talk. I kind of am that parent. I don't discipline for shit. I was like, Oh, it's your mom, not me. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Supposed to have a unified front, Chris, you piece of shit. My wife thinks we do, but secretly, I'm the favorite. (laughs) You're like, I'm sorry you couldn't go to your friend's house tonight. Give her a hug, whisper in her ear. I wanted to let you. She's fucking evil. I'm sorry. (laughs) Love you. Good night. (laughs) I don't know why she likes you more. (sighs) Me either, honey. (laughs) yeah what's up with that (laughs) i don't know my wife's boyfriend russell i don't know (laughs) i found this note in our daughter's room that says if i die tell the police it was her and it seems to be in your handwriting well it was just a little funny joke you know between me and the kiddo We're playing Clue, you know, like we do. We play Clue all the time. And, you know, it's just, uh, uh, what what are you doing with that knife, lady? Why why don't you put that shit down? (laughs) Following the end of World War I, the farming economy kind of went to complete shit. Cotton prices plummeted, forcing Henry Barrow to get a second job making bricks. Things got worse when the older Barrow children abandoned the farm for city life in nearby Dallas. Eventually, in 1922, when Clyde was 12 years old, the family gave up on their farm, loaded up the horse and wagon, and made the 30-mile trip to Dallas. In 1922, Dallas was heavily divided between the haves and the have-nots. Levees and bridges had been built to protect and beautify the side of the city that sat on the east side of the Trinity River. On the west side of the river was a marshy floodplain featuring a small community known as Cement City because it housed the laborers at a nearby cement factory and another community that was a collection of shanties and tents known as West Dallas that was so riddled with crime the residents called it the Devil's Back Porch. And I'll give you one second, listener, to guess which one the Barrows settled in. And as someone who is somewhat familiar with Dallas, it is kind of interesting because that part of Dallas now is nothing but like restaurants and lofts and shit. Kind of like a nice place to go on a Friday or Saturday night. But back then, it probably was still a really fucking fun place to go on a Friday or Saturday night. I'm I'm not going to lie. It was probably wild ass, but... I mean, all that shit's new, too. So... Yeah. You talk a decade ago, and it was... Exactly like that. Crime riddled and you probably don't want to go there. You don't have no reason to go there. Yeah. Well, not only did the Barrows settle in West Dallas with all the other destitute folk, they were the poorest of the poor. They couldn't even afford a tent. If you go anywhere in the city now, you see all these homeless people in a tent. So it's like, well, where are they getting those things, right? (laughs) Right, fellow conservative listeners? (laughs) Uh... I'm just, I'm, you know, someone accused me of being woke, and now I'm overcorrecting, because I want to please everyone. 
Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, the Barrows just slept under their wagon, and they relied on the Salvation Army to deliver what they called West Dallas Round Steak, which was thin slices of bologna shoved between two slices of stale bread. Henry Barrow earned a meager living by going to Dallas proper with his horse and wagon and digging through people's trash for scrap to sell. Eventually, he earned enough to buy a tent for the family, and then he really moved up in the world when he collected enough scrap wood and metal to build his family a one-bedroom shack. For the first few years that the Barrows were in Dallas, Clyde was fortunate enough to spend large chunks of time at his uncle's house on a farm in Corsicana, some 40 miles away. But he became enamored with the fashionable life he saw in Dallas and moved there for good when he was 15. He was a small teenager, standing just five foot six and weighing only 125 pounds, and the hard life in West Dallas did nothing to help his health. After only a year, he realized that if he was going to survive, he was going to have to get a job. So he dropped out of school forever and went to work at the Brown Cracker and Candy Company for a dollar a day. Sounds pretty limited. Like you can only have graham crackers and like the root beer flavored dum-dum suckers. (laughs) You know, because it's just brown cracker and candy, you know. (laughs) Like someone wanted to sell Skittles one day and that's when they made a sign that said, God hates the F word, the bad F word, the pejorative homosexual F word. Oh. And okay. uh, that's how the Westboro Baptist Church started. <laughs> From that candy Brown company. Brown Cracker and Candy Company. Because <laughs> they just wanted to sell colorful candy, one of the workers. And they're like, no, 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 no. Over my dead fucking body. <laughs> it's the 19 goddamn 20s. Are you kidding me right now? Colors? As in. Not brown? Oh, no, sir. Clyde became obsessed with dressing nice and having nice things. This need was somewhat sated when he and other West Dallas kids would take a long walk to Fair Park, where they put on fancy costumes and got photo strips for a nickel. He soon realized that a dollar a day was garbage pay, and he liked to rhyme things, that's why he realized that. He was like, wait a second. Hmm. <laughs> Dollar a day garbage pay. Oh, all right. So he quit his job, and he went to work for Procter & Gamble for 30 cents an hour. Well, right after that, he quit and went to work for United Glass Company. Eventually, he thought his way out of West Dallas in poverty and his way to seek adventure. And it's probably because he heard a song by the village people. But he thought his way out was to join the U.S. Navy. Unfortunately, Clyde's enlistment was denied because he had suffered malaria as a child. It was doubly unfortunate because he had already gotten a USN tattoo on his left arm. Ooh. That's not good. That would probably be the only time he makes that mistake, you know. Just got a little ahead of himself, you know. Putting the cart before the horse there. Yeah. Now, this stands for unsigned up for the Navy, because I, I signed up, then I unsigned up, because, you know, they're going to make me special forces, but they want to make do all these tests and stuff. And I was like, okay. I realized I would have punched the drill instructor in the face, so it's just better that I didn't go. <laughs> and that is when Clyde started having run-ins with the law. 
First, he stole chickens, which was kind of a no-big-deal-everyone-does-it kind of situation, and he wasn't jailed. Which, uh, what a stupid fucking thing to steal. It's like stealing the burglar alarm. Like, son, what do you got in that bag? And it's just... <laughs> I have uh, the Cadbury Easter Bunny in here. He lays eggs, chocolate eggs, filled with really rich, sugary creams. Okay, sir. Uh, that's that's the most retarded thing I've ever heard in my life. You're under arrest. Because <laughs> they said the R word very freely back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. It's the We're 20s. just being historically accurate with them. That's all. <laughs> Wait till you hear what we say in the second half. <laughs> yeah, hook him in. But then Clyde met and fell in love with a girl named Eleanor B. Williams. She dumped him shortly after he got EBW tattooed on his arm, and she moved to East Texas. This dude's running out of real estate on that arm. (laughs) Oh, it's worse, trust me. Oh, I know. (laughs) I am also a a fellow teller of this story. (laughs) No, you trust me, goddammit! Fuck you! (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I got it. (laughs) Clyde rented a car failed to return it, and drove to East Texas to try and win her back. That failed, and he was arrested for auto theft. He was soon released, and the charges were dropped, but three weeks later, he and his brother Buck were arrested while driving a truckload of stolen turkeys. Like, dude, we can't do chickens again. Yeah. That thing fucking sang to the law. <laughs> All right, brother, how about some turkeys? I'm in. Yeah. I'm fucking in. <laughs> Let's do it, man. Foolproof fucking plan. <laughs> How did they know the turkeys were stolen? It's not like turkeys have serial numbers. <laughs> <laughs> He's singing like a bird, boys. <laughs> Clyde spent a week in jail and was now well known to the Dallas Police Department. And now this is important to know because it, it kind of sets Clyde on his path. And... uh it was kind of a shitty way to do things. But back in those days, any time a crime was committed that vaguely sounded like something you had done in the past, the police could pick you up on a whim and question you. And it's like, oh, someone stole a chicken in in Texarkana. Well, that sounds like old Clyde Barrow. Let's go pick him up at work, boys. Case solved. Except, you know, it wasn't. But they still... This started happening more and more to Clyde, and his employers were pretty unhappy that he was constantly missing work, because they would just show up at his fucking place of employment and say, we need to talk to you for six hours about these fucking turkeys. Boy, in this part, we take poultry theft very fucking seriously. You have no fucking clue. I will put you to the fucking wall unless you start telling me what happened right goddamn now. (laughs) We have 800 unsolved murders. But we only have one unsolved poultry theft, and you are gonna fucking fry like a chicken boy. <laughs> a Popeye's chicken sandwich. Put him on the rack. <laughs> well, all of this sucked for Clyde because he needed money to impress girls by apparently paying for fucking tattoos. The names Annie and Grace soon joined USN and EBW on his arms. Dear God, I sincerely hope this guy does not get an HPH tattoo. (laughs) It would just be the death knell of this podcast. (laughs) I know, man. 
This dumb bastard, he goes to like Starbucks and he looks at the, the barista's tag. Like she said, my name, we're in love. <laughs> I'm getting that tattooed right on my taint. And it turns out to be like the day she forgot her name tag. So it gets like Mitch on his taint because that's what he thinks her name is. But, you know, he's a romantic. You know, we, we're not dedicated anymore in these days. You know, I, I feel like we've kind of lost our way a little bit. Apparently they weren't in these days either, so. He's <laughs> got 18 fucking names tattooed on him, so kind of a moot point. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I just kind of want to justify why. I have this is a Victorian era tattoo, you know? No. Victorian era tattoos, those meant forever. Is this a history thing? I don't know what that means. What does that mean? <sighs> it just means nobody fucking got divorced in the Victorian era, Chris. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Okay. Didn't mean they had actual good marriages. Oh. I thought it meant they just had really fucking fantastic tattoos. Yeah, dude. That's what the Victorian era is known for. <laughs> Any tattoos ever at all. <laughs> Big fucking sleeve down their pale English skin. It's all dedicated to their women, you know? It's, just, it's love. It's all tribal. <laughs> See, this, these Chinese symbols mean I am now addicted to opium, because that's what we did to them. <laughs> also, it means I love my wife. Well, Clyde figured if he couldn't get an honest job and the police already thought he was a crook, why not up the game and start stealing cars? Doing so was ridiculously easy in the late 1920s, and it made him enough money that he was able to take another girlfriend, Gladys, to Mexico on vacation. He was actually caught breaking into cars in San Antonio, was acquitted at trial based on a lack of evidence. Things were going pretty great up until November 29th, 1929. You see, that night, Clyde, his brother Buck, and a man named Sidney Moore stole a Buick and drove to Henrietta, Oklahoma, where they broke into a house and stole a small amount of jewelry before deciding to head home. On their way back, they thought it would be a great idea to stop in Denton, Texas, where they attempted to steal a safe from a garage. As they were loading up that safe, they were spotted by a patrolling police officer. They were soon involved in a car chase, but Clyde crashed the car and the police opened fire. His brother Buck was shot in the legs and taken into custody. Moore surrendered. Clyde managed to evade escape by hiding under a house. Old Buck and Moore were both convicted and sent to the state prison in Huntsville, Texas. Clyde didn't exactly see the whole ordeal as a wake-up call, and he didn't decide to give up on crime, but he did think maybe he should lay low for a while and hang out with a slightly better class of people. And that is when he met sweet, clean, future murderer Bonnie Parker. Now, I don't want to spoil things, but that's that's the Bonnie we're talking about, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't want to spoil things, but I know I called her Future Murderer. <laughs> and her name is Bonnie in an episode titled Bonnie and Clyde. So we'll just leave it mysteriously at that. <laughs> <laughs> Break time! Alright, welcome back from that break. 
and uh, hope you enjoyed it. And hope you're enjoying this podcast, which is the only podcast that is 100% bussin' all the time, Greg. No cap. No cap. I don't know what any of that means. My favorite song is Jimmy Durante's Young at Heart from 1954. So that tells you what kind of person I am. But uh, that's what the kids are saying. So kind of hook them in. Get them set, you know? Hooked into this history thing for life. And when they're 40 and making a podcast, they'll realize what a tremendous fucking waste of time this has all been. Mm, on God, on God. <laughs> well, speaking of things that children like, let's put aside our whiskey and let's drink something fruity flavored. Let's pop the tops on our second half seltzers. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. And three, two, one, Wolf Dick. Hit the sound effect, please. Thank you. I'm drinking a beer. I don't have any seltzers today. So, Well, that was refreshing. And now it's time for Greg to tell us about a little sexy number that we know as Bonnie Parker. Mmm. <laughs> Boy, do I have a story to tell. Everybody sit back, sit in your little comfy chairs, mm -hmm. get your lazy Susans on your lap, open up your Lunchables, prepare to snack, and let's go. Are we ready? All right. Love an adult Lunchable. No, the, the, the kid one with the shitty American cheese. Oh, the, the, well, it's not even the good one with the nuggets or pizza. It's just the fucking crackers and stuff. No, it's the four container one. <laughs> it's got ham, cheese, cracker. Like two Oreos. <laughs> All right? All right. Don't get greedy. I'm trying to fucking set the scene, Chris. I'm sorry. Eating Lunchables by the fire on a Lazy Susan. I'm just living off this Patreon money. I'm eating that pizza Lunchable. It comes with the Capri Sun and shit. Oh, my God. You're a piece of shit. <laughs> All right? Bonnie Elizabeth Peter Parker was born on October 1st, 1910 in Rowena, Texas. Her dad, Charles, was a brick mason, and her mother, Emma, was, she was kind of a snob who looked down on her poor former neighbors because her man earned a steady paycheck. All that changed in 1914 when Charles Parker up and died, and Emma was forced to settle with her mother amongst the glitz and glamour of the aforementioned Cement City. And the book doesn't explain how... Charles Parker died, but it was 1914, so I'm just going to assume the Schlieffland plan was involved somehow. Uh, he was in Belgium and got straight capped. <laughs> Assumably. Just visiting. Just a fucking tourist. Heard you guys got waffles and chocolate. Oh, God! Oh, I got Schlieffland! Oh, I got my family. I love them. <laughs> Will do, Chuck. Why don't you go Asian? I didn't go Asian. He was I'm dying. Sure you said family. I said family. He was dying, dude. His oh, okay. brain was, it didn't get proper blood flow. <laughs> I got you. Okay. Racist piece of shit. <laughs> no, dude. He just got fucking wounded by shrapnel and then mm -hmm. committed seppuku. So. <laughs> Before he got captured. <laughs> as a tourist. <laughs> uh, as an enemy combatant. Even though he wasn't officially enlisted. He was an insurgent. 
in Belgium, all right? Dude, fuck <laughs> off. If you start poking into it, it falls apart. Quit poking. History podcast. <laughs> well, his wife, Emma, she went to work as a seamstress, earning about $9.5 a week. The kids stayed with Emma's mom, and most of them were well-behaved, but Bonnie was, quote, an adorable terror, <laughs> end quote. She did whatever the hell damn crap she wanted, ranging from setting fires just to see the pretty flames to stealing her grandfather's wine and passing out drunk at the ripe old age of six. And that is this week's Metal Moment! Woo! Six-year-old party animal! Once Bonnie started school, she was more than willing to get into fistfights with the boys, but she also encouraged the ones who developed crushes on her by demanding gifts of candy and gum. <laughs> Women, am I right? <laughs> when she was 15 years old, Bonnie, being a rational and mature person, decided she had met the man of her dreams. 18-year-old Roy Thornton was an exciting bad boy who always had money to take Bonnie on dates, despite not actually having a legitimate job. She had two hearts labeled Bonnie and Roy tattooed on the inside of her right thigh, dropped out of school, got a factory job, and married Roy Thornton. I'm getting the feeling that the tattoo artist that operates in West Dallas and Cement City is like the king of that fucking district. Oh, cleaning up. Rolling in the dough. Like, as soon as these people meet somebody, they're like, hey, let, let me get that tattooed on my fucking thigh. <laughs> you know, I know you're drunk and 15, but uh, who am I to say no? <laughs> this will wash off, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. My my friends keep saying henna, like it fades after a while. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm doing right now. It's just henna <laughs> tattoos. <laughs> oh. But love of her life. Oh, Roy. He was a really shitty husband. He cheated on Bonnie, would beat her, and would disappear for days, presumably because he was traveling around the countryside committing crimes. In early 1928, Bonnie assumed he was gone forever and started dating other boys, and soon got a job as a waitress at Hargrave's Cafe in Dallas. Her money was earned mostly through tips, but it was noted that she soon started dressing nicely and it is presumed that she earned the money for her fine clothes by moonlighting as a prostitute. It's kind of the opposite of the prostitutes now. Like, oh, she's dressed really nicely. She must be a whore. No, now it's like, oh, oh look at her. In her high heel black boots and her white tank top shirt. And leaning into Richard Gere's car. Oh no, that's a prostitute. I know it. She wants to learn stick shift. It's very on the nose. It's very on the nose. It's so obvious. <laughs> in 1929, Roy Thornton was arrested for robbery and sent to prison. Bonnie never officially divorced him, but she also never saw him again. It was at a party at her brother-in-law's house in January of 1930 that Bonnie Parker met Clyde Barrow. She noticed his nice clothes and fancy car, and he noticed that she was cute and tiny which was good because he was so sensitive about his height that he used to stand on curbs to appear taller when posing for photographs with previous girlfriends, most of which were tattooed on his fucking body because he's stupid. 
He's one of these guys on Tinder who's like, they ask, how tall are you? And he's like, how fat are you? Got her. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Bonnie and Clyde were immediately inseparable. Except for they were immediately separated (laughs) in early February when Clyde was arrested by the Dallas police for his involvement in the safe theft in Denton we talked about earlier and several auto thefts in the home of everyone's favorite remodelers, Chip and Joe, Waco, Texas. Yes, that is what Waco is most known for in the history community. Not the entire episode we did on another event, but I won't spoil that. Well, that was outside of Waco. I mean, that's like a suburb. That's true. That's true. Not a suburb at all, but outside of Waco proper. I'll give you that. 30th anniversary coming up very soon to that. Maybe if you want to learn about that thing, maybe if you like seen an article about it, you're like, what is that all about? You can check out three episodes of our podcast dealing with Ruby Ridge, Waco, and Oklahoma City. They're kind of all tied together, and they're all fucking awesome. So uh, go listen to those. True. That's in just a couple weeks. I am going to celebrate privately. I mean, <laughs> more than privately. I don't know what my reaction is supposed to be for the internet, but uh, I'm going to do it privately. I'm going to be celebrating on 420. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't use marijuana products. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Old Hitler's birthday. No, dude. I'm not an asshole. Mm-hmm. I'm celebrating Columbine. <laughs> I'm celebrating the day after the Oklahoma City bombing. You know, and they, they figured it out. Yeah, yeah. They got John Doe number one, John Doe number two. Are you fucking kidding me? They thought that Muslim guy had done it because, you know, racism and stuff. That's John Doe number three, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> when they first unveil fucking McVeigh and everybody's like, wait, what? <laughs> This white dude that looks like he's in the military? What? This that guy Everybody who had knew sex with it was his a Burger King person. manager in Buffalo, New York? Him? Him? Man, the fuck the retarded girl on the fucking next to the fryer? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Go listen to the episodes. You'll get all that. Boom. Well, the grand jury in Denton didn't see enough evidence to indict him there, but there was plenty of evidence in Waco. In March, Clyde pleaded guilty to seven counts of auto theft and was sentenced to two years in prison. But, uh, old rascally Clyde, he said, fuck that noise. While he was awaiting transfer to Huntsville Prison, he got with another convicted thief named William Turner, who had lived in East Waco. All bootstraps himself. That's a Pirates of the Caribbean reference, Greg. Never seen it. Oh my god. Dude, I have a kid on the way. I don't have a fucking current kid. I don't see <laughs> kid movies, all right? I may have watched it by myself, pants off, because, you know, Johnny Depp looks like, what's his face from Rolling Stones, The One Will Never Die? Keith Richards? Yeah, that guy. He's just stumbling around, and he's got the dreads, and he's like, oh, I haven't even gone through my trial with Amber Heard yet. I'm still living free and loving life, and I'm like, oh, I'm right here for it, Johnny. So, you don't need a kid to enjoy it. Poop on my bed, Captain Sparrow. (laughs) She pooped on the bed. Come on. Oh, I understand. Mine was a request, (laughs) not a reference. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, the two of them planned to smuggle a gun in from Turner's house, take a guard prisoner, and escape. They just needed someone to get them the gun. Clyde decided to ask Bonnie, who, again, he had known for all of a week before being arrested, and she thought it was so romantic and exciting that she agreed to do it. On March 11th, Bonnie retrieved the gun, tucked it in a belt hidden under her dress, and walked right in to McLennan County Jail. That night, William Turner feigned illness to get a guard to come into his cell. At that point, another inmate named Emery Abernathy jumped out holding the gun with Clyde beside him. The three men escaped the jail and spent the next few weeks traveling north through the United States in stolen cars. Clyde communicated with Bonnie only once via telegram, but that was enough to keep her heart horny for him. Unfortunately for them, the three men were captured after stealing a scant $60 from a train depot in Middleton, Ohio. Clyde was sent back to Texas, where he was sentenced to 14 years, working on the Eastham Prison Farm in Lovelady, Texas. First of all, that's a gross name for a town. Am I right, fellas? Am I right, leather-clad and fishnet-clad fellas? <laughs> and second of all, it reminds me of me being like 19, 20 years old, lonely. I'm on the chat rooms, the Yahoo, the AOLs, hitting the ASL every day. Like, hey girl, what you up to? Probably talking like 45-year-old dudes. They're all just sweaty and rubbing their finger in their belly button while they're talking to me. But still, I'm like all about it. Like, just so desperate for like some sort of attention and affection. And I feel like that's kind of like what Bonnie is doing here. Because these people have known each other for less than two months. And she's like, yeah, baby, I'll smuggle a gun into jail for you. Oh, you sent me a telegram? We're still in love. We're still... Oh, it's so great. And yet, they've seen each other like twice at this point. Yeah, it's romantic, dude. Like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. 13-year-olds. I think the point is the same. <laughs> There's an infatuation. Yeah, it's the that juvenile infatuation. Sure. Before you get to be an adult and you're just like, Oh, God. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. We're going to have to sit on the couch and watch TV and stare at our phones and... Send each other memes and TikToks and shit. This better work out. You know, it's it's that romantic love, not actual modern love. I don't know. Which one's love? I don't know. My wife sends me some fucking banger TikToks. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, She sends them to me from some hotel she's staying at, but I think it's love. I, I feel like the things she sends me are funny and related to my life. She has an hour and a half lunch break that her boss gives her, and she's always in the this cheap motel, which is a, that's affordable. It's good. It's, it's a right cheap close. motel because she needs to decompress. She says she doesn't want to eat lunch. She's doing intermittent fasting, so mm -hmm. she goes to the cheap motel, takes a power nap on the bed, and then goes back to work in different clothes. Uh, it's completely normal. Mm-hmm. 100%. Completely normal. And she sends me funny TikToks. I don't see the problem here. I feel like that is true love. And she made me start wearing condoms three months ago. I, I think she's just looking out for both of our health. I don't know why or how that works, but that's what's going on. Where every, It's true love. All right? it's, it's, it's not a little kitty fucking bullshit infatuation love. It's true love. All right? Yeah. She loves me. She cares about me. She won't give me any nasty woman yeast infection she has or whatever happens down there. 
I don't need to concern myself with it. I just need to wrap it up, okay? Thanks, bud. Yeah. It's long-lasting love. You, It's a marathon, not a sprint, okay? Oh, yeah, it's real sexy. Yeah, he's on the run from law. He sends me telegrams, you know, whatever. Okay, oh, all right. When's the last time you came home and she was wearing sweatpants and a baggy t-shirt and no makeup and you were still like, you know what, if she let me touch her, I would right now, but she won't let me. But if she would, I would. And that is true love right there. When was the last time your wife was the nurse at a maximum security prison and all of a sudden she got fired for impropriety and you asked her about it and she said, well, it's just because I love you so much and you didn't question it a whole lot because <laughs> then it would fall apart. But then you're like, oh, yeah, I love you, too. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad I have a healthy marriage and that I have to now wear condoms. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> It's real weird, too, because I had a vasectomy like 10 years ago. I don't know why she wants to wear a condom. I don't. And all of a sudden, you notice that she's got a tramp stamp tattoo that says John Coffee, like the drink, but not spelled the same. And you're like, what's this? And she's like, oh, it's words from a song. And you're like, oh, okay. It was right after, you know, she got fired from that prison. So. <laughs> you ask her, hey. It's been a while. You want to make out? And she just says, I was a tired boss. So tired. <laughs> well, like I was saying, life on Eastham Prison Farm was brutal. The prisoners were kept in a concrete bunkhouse where they were poorly fed and spent their days doing forced labor in the cotton fields from sunup to sundown. The guards used extreme violence to keep the men in line, and when they couldn't watch the men... They gave extra food rations and other perks to prisoners known as tenders to watch over the other inmates. One of these tenders was Ed Crowder, who was serving a 99-year sentence. He took a real shine to old Clyde and soon began beating Clyde into submission and sexually assaulting him. Eventually, Clyde decided he had had enough and bashed Crowder's head in with a fucking pipe. Another tender doing a life sentence named Aubrey Scally hated Crowder so much that he shanked the corpse and took credit for the whole thing. No one knew it, but Clyde had committed his first murder. Still, life didn't get much better for Clyde at Eastham after that. His life was abject misery and escape was practically impossible. He realized that his only way to get off the farm and to be sent to a lower security prison was to make it so that he could no longer work. And so, on January 27th, 1932, he used an axe to cut off his entire left big toe and part of the second toe. But, in an Alanis Morissette sort of irony, just five days later, he received word that the governor of Texas had received countless letters from his mother, Cummy, and had decided to parole Clyde. It's hilarious. She's like... I can't take it no more. It's not clear if he chopped off his own toes or someone else did, but he took fucking axe to his fucking foot. He's like, fucking do it. Let's do it. Ah, He's biting the fucking spoon. You know, whiskey's being poured on his toes because I'm guessing this is a world, a Wild West thing. 
And they're just like, ah, do it, do it, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Psyched up, you know, and they fucking chop off his toes and then they immediately hand him the letter. It's like, congratulations, sir, you've been paroled. Fucking candy gram and shit. He's like, ah. Stripper gram. <laughs> That's what took so long. Like, they're getting ready for it and like the axe is coming down and this guy's just like stripping off his shirt and he's got the suspenders hiding his nipples and he's got to pull one to the side. Expose that nipple. Pull the other to the side. Expose that nipple. He's like, please get to the point. And it smashes down on his toes. And then he hands him the letter and says he's been paroled. Yeah. History. Tale as old as time. Well, when Clyde arrived back home, Bonnie was there with her new boyfriend, who she literally ditched on the spot and ran into the loving embrace of Clyde. They soon ran off together and formed what they called the Lake Dallas Gang with a few of Clyde's criminal buddies. Their first robbery was a Dallas-based oil refinery in which they stole a safe that contained precisely zero dollars. Following that, they went north to Illinois and robbed a bank and stole some cars before heading back home. Now, Clyde and his buddy Ralph Fultz had both done time at Easton Prison Farm and had dreams of performing an armed raid there and freeing all of the prisoners. To do that, they needed guns. A lot of guns. And cars. On April 19th... 1932. Oh. Not 1995. No, no. Okay. It's not Waco. This is not Oklahoma City. Bonnie... Clyde and Fultz decided to go to Tyler, Texas to steal cars, but stopped in tiny Kaufman, Texas to burglarize a hardware store for some real firepower. They broke into the store, but as they were coming out, they were spotted by a night watchman. It was Jon Snow. (laughs) That guy doesn't know anything. That's the only joke I know from... Game of Thrones, because I've never seen more than the first season. Are you serious? Yes. The fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know. We started the second season, me and my wife, and I don't know. We we enjoyed the first season. We we started the second season. There was some like magic shit, and we just stopped watching. Just right there, just stopped watching. I don't know what happened. It may have been because we got divorced at that moment, and... I'm not allowed to contact her anymore, but uh, I just haven't felt the need to go back and finish the series. Wow. All right. (laughs) Well, shots were exchanged, and the watchman began ringing a bell to sound the alarm. And that was funny to me when I read that, because it's like, I'm sure it was like a church bell, but in my head, I pictured this dude in a a tri-corner hat ringing a fucking bell like a town crier from 1700 saying, Oh no, the British are coming. Except instead of the British, it was some inbred hicks from Ellis County coming to uh, rob their hardware store. I think he had just one of those little bells that's at the front of like an auto repair place when yeah. the guy's like under a car working and you need to like <laughs> come to ding. the counter. <laughs> just one of those. One of those yeah. just, it's just annoying. It doesn't yeah. really do anything. Some guy comes out right up and sleep out of his eyes like, what the fuck, dude? I was having a dream about having sex with my sister. Oh, my God. Somebody's robbing the town. Let's go. Mm-hmm. History. 
Well, soon a posse was formed and gave chase in the pouring rain. Bonnie and Clyde's car got bogged down in the mud, so they took off on foot, and then had to beg a farmer to let them ride some mules bareback toward the nearby town of Kemp. By the time the sun came up, they were soaked, cold, and muddy. At some point, Ralph Fultz had been shot in the arm. It was then that genius Clyde said he had a plan. He stood up and ran away, leaving tiny Bonnie and wounded Fultz in a muddy creek bed to be arrested. (laughs) So far, the life of crime with Clyde had not been as glamorous as Bonnie thought it would be. Things were only going to get worse. (laughs) And that is where we will pick back up next time. End of this part of the story. Woo! One part of Bonnie and Clyde, the old B and C, is done. And you guys are like, what, he just fucking dished her right there? He's like, hey, I'm a hero, fellas, and took off running and left his his woman and his friend in a ditch in Kaufman County, Texas. What's going to happen next? Well, for that, you're going to have to come back again. And that's how we kind of like hook you in. We're deep sea fishing. We got that marlin on the line, and we're just reeling your ass in. But... Maybe there are a few things you thought, that's an interesting story. You're like, well, I'm right along with you. I'm I'm following. But maybe there are some facts that you guys left out. And you're right. We did do that. We did it on purpose. And we did it for this segment, which we call the Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. Clyde Barrow dropping out of school at the age of 16 was not unusual for the late 1920s. A high school diploma was virtually useless for a kid living in West Dallas, so once they learned to read and write, they were expected to go get a job, get married, and make babies. But that part wasn't actually specific to West Dallas. Throughout Clyde's lifetime, only about 40% of all American children stayed in school past the 8th grade. Fast Fact Number 2 Henry and Cummy didn't approve of stealing, but they were loyal to Clyde. When he was arrested in San Antonio, they decided to attend his trial, which meant a 275-mile wagon ride from Dallas. The trip took almost three weeks because they didn't have any money and would have to stop and work on farms for enough money just to eat and feed their horse. They eventually made it, but not before Henry had worked so hard that he had literally lost every single one of his fingernails. But he had both thumbnails and technicality. (laughs) (laughs) Fast fact number three. While he was awaiting transfer to Easton Prison Farm, Clyde was transferred all over the state to be brought before grand juries on charges he didn't actually commit. In one case, he was taken to Houston and charged with the murder of 20-year-old Buster Gouge. There was absolutely no evidence against Clyde, and the grand jury dropped the charges, but future Houston historians would still go on to wrongly claim that Clyde Barrow began his killing spree in their city. Fast Fact Number 4 One of the punishments used by the warden of Easton Prison Farm was known as The Bat. It was a leather strap that was three feet long and five inches wide. It was used to strike the back, buttocks, and thighs of inmates at the farm, while other inmates held them down and watched. 
The bat would tear the skin and leave deep, bleeding wounds that were often filled with sand. The limit was twenty lashes, but no one kept count, and it usually continued until the prisoners shat themselves and lost consciousness. Then the other prisoners were called over to line up and inspect the bloody bat. There were even claims from some prisoners that they were forced to lick the bat. And that's how we got COVID. Licking the bat. All right, well, that does it. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Hunter Proof History. Hope it hooks you in, because there's more Bonnie and Clyde to come, and it just gets wilder and wilder and wilder. And, and more wild. And even more wild. It, it's just the fucking wildest thing you've ever heard, but you won't know that unless you come back for the additional parts of this story. We thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back very soon with the second part of this story. In the meantime, you can check us out at 100 Proof History on all of your favorite social media apps. We do memes. We do interactions with the fans. We fucking love you guys, and we will always, always respond. We will big time you, even though Greg tells me they're not worth your time. But I will always, always respond to your comments. You can also find us at 100proofhistory.com where you can find bios, maybe some old episodes. You can also find a link to our Patreon, which is the most important thing. We hope you're listening right now and you're you're zoned in because for just $3 a month, you get access to old episodes, bonus mini-episodes, like 100-something extra pieces of content you can't get anywhere else, and you also get at least two-day early access to our new episodes. Well worth $3. Check it out if you will. But that does it. Thank you very much. I am your sexy co-host, Christopher, for our invalid producer, Wolfdick, for Dan Dan the Intro Man. We thank you for listening, and we ask main host, Ryan. What are you doing, Ryan? No, 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 no. Me amo es Greg. (laughs) Greg. Well, for fill-in main host Greg, what else you got? I, I mean, you got anything? Well, I'm that? using fill-in, let's do the intro and outro host, ChatGPT. I will yeah. read what, what uh, ChatGPT has told me the outro is. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's all for today's episode of 100 Proof History. Thanks for joining us. And remember, if you're ever feeling down, just think about all the weird stuff people did in the past. And remember... History is always more interesting with a little bit of whiskey. Cheers. God damn, that's better than anything we've ever done. Dude, Chad GPT is fucking... <laughs> he's the podcast host killer. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Fuck! <laughs> it was so good. I gave him a tiny prompt. He fucking killed us. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> that was really good. Henry Barrow earned a meager living. Damn it, what is wrong with me? Uh, No idea, dude. Probably having a stroke or a medical emergency of some sort. There's no other explanation. Pressing. I'm pressing. I'm like a major league hitter. As in a fucking single in 10 games. Here we go. Major league hitter that's fucking drunk. (laughs) I mean, fucking Mickey Mantle did it every fucking day. He hit so many goddamn home runs and he was the hero of New York. And I can't fucking perform at all. My dick don't work. My voice dick. My voice podcast dick. It's broken.
He shouted, and his children could hear. I don't think I'll put any of the John Coffee <laughs> stuff in there. Okay. I don't think anybody will get it. I know, it's a 20-year-old movie. <laughs> and it's fucked up. Like, he was a very good person. <laughs>